Good evening, Newark family, and welcome back once again to our live Wednesday evening Bible study. I am delighted to be with you here today on October 21st, 2020. And any moment now, I should have our other, there we go, our other team member with me, ready to join us. And we're excited to jump in. This week, if you've been following along, we've been talking about the idea of bones in the Bible. And so each night, I have certainly enjoyed this. We've taken a different passage that had something to do with bones, and it's kind of been a bit of a potluck this week, maybe a bone broth potluck, if you'll allow me to extend that analogy a little further, as we've talked about different scriptures that had to do with bones. So where on earth are we going tonight? Well, I'm so glad you asked. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to a man who certainly needs no introduction whatsoever, and that is the right Reverend, retired pastor, Roy Moss. Let's see how many alliterations I can do with R there, right? Right, Reverend, retired Roy Moss. There we go. And so I'm going to hand it over to him. I'm going to fade into the background. I will be watching the chat stream, and I'll rejoin you in about 30 minutes to feed you discussion questions. So without further ado, take it away. Good evening, everybody. And I'm glad to be with you for this Wednesday night live Bible study from Newark United Pentecostal Church. This week, as Desi has already mentioned, we are teaching under the theme of bones. And as a pastoral team, we came up with a framework, but we left it to each teacher to uh, <clears throat> flesh out the individual studies. Uh, let me start with the description of the purpose and the composition of our subject from a Wikipedia article. That article says that a bone is a rigid organ that constitutes part of the vertebrate skeleton in animals. Bones protect the various organs of the body, produce red and white blood cells, store minerals, provide structures and support for the body, and for all their rigidity, enable mobility. Bones come in a variety of shapes and sizes and have a complex internal and external structure. They're lightweight, yet strong, and this is the important part, they are hard and serve multiple functions. The bone tissue is a a hard tissue, a type of dense connective tissue. It has a honeycomb-like matrix internally, which helps give the body or the bone its rigidity. So our bodies are made largely of soft tissue of one type or another on a rigid yet flexible frame of bones. Well, so much for our simple science lesson. Now let's turn to the Bible and get a couple of scriptures to launch us into English class. From Proverbs 16 and 24, we read, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So we've got to hear something about words tied to making bones whole, healthy, strong. And then in Proverbs 25 and 15, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. 
and a soft tongue can break bones. Hmm. So we've got words here, pleasant words and uh, a soft tongue, which would be uh, kind words, submissive words, can heal or break. Quite interesting that these two things could be from the same source and acting in such opposite ways on what is in the wording of it, the same object. For our study tonight, we're going to see what can both heal and break bones. Now stay with me. This can get real interesting. When I was a much younger, I was often an observer to discussions as to whether what the Bible said was to be taken literally. As we've studied before, there are many different styles and genres of writing in that book. And I have with me tonight a copy of what's called the Bible, an American translation. Uh, it's often referred to as the Smith Goodspeed Bible or translation. And uh, this Bible doesn't have any extra notes in it. It's 418 pages long. And uh, the print is uh, fairly small. And uh, a large portion of the Bible was originally poetic in its form. And the Smith Goodspeed restores that poetic format. As you can see here from the last of Proverbs and the first of Ecclesiastes. Now our scriptures tonight are from the book of Proverbs and uh, that's just one of the areas of poetry in Holy Writ. Now, poetry has its own form and its own rules. Uh, poetry is generally more stylistic and, and uh, symbolic than prose. I, I, I told you we were going to an English class. For instance, though, I don't remember exactly what grade it was when we studied similes and metaphors. I do remember the illustrations in the book. First, there was the simile, the path was like a river of moonlight. And then contrasting to that, the metaphor that came along with the path was a river of moonlight. And along with distinguishing these two forms of description, I also realized that especially in poetic form, what was said was often not literally true, but a method of conveying a picture with words. Instead of paint, sounds and syllables. In this way, our, it's, uh, this, it is this way with our scriptures tonight. It should be obvious even from a quick reading that the writer of Proverbs is not talking about literal human bones. He's using that term for something hard, something rigid, something set, or that should be. In fact, some of the terms used by other translators besides the New Living Translation that I'm 
uh, using predominantly this evening, uh, were uh, hardness, strongest resistance, rigid defenses, and bone-like resistance to, to translate, especially in that second scripture I gave you. The real major emphasis in these two scriptures is the power of words and the attitudes behind them. Once when I was at the University of Texas, I, uh, I quoted that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And along about that time, one of the guys came at me with an unabridged dictionary. And I figured out real quickly that there was a way that words could hurt. Now, really, we've all experienced the power of words to, to harm or to heal. A physical wound will soon mend and it may leave at worst a scar. We've got several scars from various incidents in, in growing up and each of them tells a story. But sometimes you don't even have a scar. Nothing there to, to remind you of the injury, of the cut, of the, of the, especially of the bruise. But the wounds of words can remain a running sore for decades. Sometimes they just don't seem to heal. And as surely as words can cut and batter, so words can mend. Let's go there with uh, Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Uh, recently, I was visiting with someone and, and in the course of our conversation, we came up with the or I, I brought up the fact that the way a thing is said is part of what is said. Some of you may have heard me use this before, but if a, a, a young man tells his, his uh, darling, when I look at you, time stands still. That's one thing. But if he says, you know, you've got a face that could stop a clock. Uh, he's, uh, the way a thing is said is, is part of what is said. So these pleasant words, the, the way things are delivered, the choice of words can make the difference between honey, home, and vinegar. So when we're trying to help someone, we need to choose our words well to uh, make them pleasant and that use them that way as a healing for the bone. Sometimes 
what we have is, is bones that are, are broken or weakened and they, they need some strengthening. They need some additive of, of something to increase their uh, return back to what they were intended to be. This, this verse leads us to a conclusion that someone is suffering from a, a severe case of either spiritual or emotional osteoporosis, losing density or the solidity and becoming these bones becoming weak and brittle so that we can become oversensitive. We can come to the place where we just can't take anymore. This weakens, it endangers the whole system, leaving the other parts, the, the heart, the mind, and so forth, not properly protected. A blow can cause a collapse as the spiritual or emotional frame snaps under the pressure and can't maintain a, a proper upright position for advance or even for defense. But the proper words, pleasant words, can reverse the debilitating loss and bring healing and strength to the frame. That frame within us that not detectable by x-rays, but the writer of Proverbs called it our bones. Now, some of this is echoed in Proverbs 25, 11, where it's so poetically expressed in the King James Version, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Or as it's given in more modern language in the New Living Translation, timely advice is lovely like golden apples in a silver basket. A quick look at all of this through the other end of the telescope might take us to Job chapter four, where Eliphaz the Temanite was holding forth. In uh, Job chapter four, verse number three, Eliphaz is saying, in the past you have encouraged many people. You have strengthened those who were weak. Verse four, your words have supported those who were falling. You encouraged those with shaky knees. Now this is kind of describing what the writer of Proverbs is speaking about in uh, our scripture this evening. This is a description of how Job had used his words to lift up and, and to strengthen others in the days before his own calamity. However, Eliphaz did not learn the proper lesson from Job's example. He was not encouraging. Instead, he, he struck down instead of lifting up. Verse five, but now when trouble strikes, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Now, Here's the thing, Job already knew his difficulties. He knew what his problem was. He didn't need anybody telling him and reminding him of what was wrong. He, he knew it better than anybody else. He now needed a word of encouragement, a ray of sunshine to strengthen and guide him to a better mindset, a, a way to deal with the problems 
that he was facing. Uh, there's an old saying that fits Eliphaz and the others very well in this situation. With friends like this, who needs enemies? Then Eliphaz, a little bit later on, told of his own uh, problems, his own nightmare, if you will, even using terminology about bones that, that fits in well with tonight's lesson. In Job 4 and 14, he says, describing his, his dream in the night, he said, fear gripped me and my bones trembled. Now, let's cap this off with a, a, a strong word of discouragement from friend Eliphaz. As he questions in Job 5 and 1, cry for help, but will anyone answer you? Which of the angels will help you? That's real encouraging. Job, you've got all these problems and you're stuck out here. And there's nobody in the universe that's concerned about you. Not only will the angels not help, his friends who are closer, in fact, almost within arm's length, are no help either. So this is looking at this from the other direction that kind words, pleasant words can heal and strengthen, but words that are not kind, words that are not pleasant can make the situation much, much worse. Now, let's contrast this with the words that we find in Isaiah chapter 35, and we'll begin with verse one when we go there. Even the wilderness, and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plains of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. Now there's, there's something about the picture that is painted here with these words that, that really strikes home to me. I'm here in Delaware now, in the New Jersey, Delaware district, but I'm about 2,000 miles from where I was born and grew up, out in the plains, the dry, dusty plains, as I have described them before, of, of West Texas, a little place called Monahans. Monahans uh, would get about 12 inches of rain a year in a good year. I remember one time many years ago when my mother was uh, sending me the the local paper had a subscription for me and I, they went about 15 or 16 months. If I remember correctly, that in the paper, they, they kept a running tally of it that it had been that long since they had had any measurable precipitation of any kind. So when you talk about desert, I don't have to use my imagination, just my memory. When I think of places that 
things do not grow. Uh, I found out when I was, uh, when I went to Central Texas, to the University of Texas in Austin, that even the mesquites, a very dry land tree, if you can call it that, don't grow very big around Monahans. Everything was stunted. And so when, when Isaiah paints this picture of, of a land that's dry, of a land that's desolate, where things don't grow, I'm, I'm, I, I resonate with that. And then he tells in this same area, it's going to blossom, it's going to bloom, the flowers are going to grow. My, what a promise. What, what a, a thing that he is telling us, how, how good that sounds. And then in verse three in Isaiah 35, it says, with this news of what's going to happen, with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Better days are coming. I know we are, as a group, in, in a, a major time of problem and trouble and, and inconvenience. But better days are coming. I don't know when it will be. I, I don't have that on my schedule. But encourage each other. The Lord still knows where we are, and the Lord is working some things out. In verse 4, he says, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And no matter how bad the situation gets, if we can just remember things like that, the Lord knows where we are. The Lord is coming. He's going to take care of our problems. He's coming to save you. That can help us to hold out and not be discouraged and, and to strengthen our bones for the journey. Let me finish off this section with a story from Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 8, a woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus for judgment. Now, actually, this was they were laying a trap hoping to end Jesus' ministry, trying to put him in a position that, that no matter what answer he gave, they could use it against him. And uh, it's very difficult for me to imagine that anyone in that mob spoke kindly to this woman. There were probably insults, threats, dragging her along, heading for the temple, finding Jesus there. And in my mind's eye, I see them casting her at his feet and then bringing accusation and bringing charges against her and, and asking him to be the judge with, and prejudicing him or his judgment by quoting an area of the law of Moses. Moses said she should be stoned. What do you say? They lay in a trap for him. We know the story. 
He didn't give them an answer. He bent down, rode in the dirt, the dust, the sand, whatever it was there in the, in the temple that he could ride in. Then instead of giving them a direct answer, he said, uh, yeah, you, she can be stoned, but the first one of you that's never committed a sin, you, you throw the first rock. We know that starting at the eldest and going on down, pretty soon there were none of her accusers left. And Jesus is again writing. I, we have no idea what he wrote. Speculation, but no real idea. And then uh, in John chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Verse 11, she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He did not rubber stamp what she had done, but he had a few words, not of condemnation. She, like Job, knew what the problem was. She didn't need to be reminded of that. Jesus sent her away with a new lease on life with a few words. A spiritual and emotional life or health was hers now that she thought she would never have again. A few kind words. Sometimes we're, we will be having a meal and someone will come by and say, is there anything that you need? And one of my smart aleck remarks is all I need is a little time and a few kind words. Sometimes that would be imp more important than a large check, just a few kind words. Now we'll be wrapping up here in, in just a little bit. So if you've got questions, you might wanna start getting those ready and send them in. Put question at the, at the front so we'll know it'd be easier to pick them out. Now, let's take a quick look at Proverbs 25 and 15. I read it to you a while ago. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. A soft tongue can break a bone. Obviously, we're still in poetic mood here, or mode here, and uh, using symbolism and also a, a contrast between a soft tongue, our words, and the hardness and rigidity of bones, which would be resolution or determination from somebody. I'm, I'm going to take an example from 1 Samuel chapter 25, and this, in this chapter, in this example from David, who is at this time hiding and running from Saul, sent some of his men to ask provision of a man named Nabal at shearing time, a time of year when 
he should have been is in a most generous mood, willing to share, because now they they are they're bringing in what's going to be uh, cash money in their hand if there was such available in those days. He should have been generous. He should have been open and and uh, giving. But verse. Uh, 14 sums up the story as it was reported by one of Nabal's servants. Uh, Verse 14 says, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed against them. He did not use soft words. He did not use pleasant words. He, he used a, an accusing phraseology and, and uh, accusation, and, and he was not smooth or soft at all. He railed upon them. And those young men had gone back, and when the word of this ill treatment got back to David, that warrior gathered his men to wreak vengeance on a man whose flocks and herds they had been protecting. To use a descriptive term, he had blood in his eye. He was determined to avenge the slight and leave no man alive. Fortunately, Nabal's wife, Abigail, was much wiser than her husband and quickly set out to meet David with provisions as a peace offering. 1 Samuel 25 and 23 tells us, and when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. Now she's though, as we'd be saying it, she's throwing her husband under the bus, but that's a good place for him right now. She said, he is a fool just as his name suggests. And that is the meaning of the name Nabal. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance in your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here's the present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. And you've not done wrong throughout your entire life. Hint, hint, don't do wrong now. Some may say, I would never grovel like that. Well, I ask you, have you made your funeral arrangements? Picked out what kind of casket you want? I'll uh, just take a moment to point out the advice of Proverbs 16 and 14. The anger of a king 
is a deadly threat, the wise will appease it. Words are powerful. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Even bones, the hardest, most solid part of a body, either natural or metaphorical, can be influenced for good or ill by words, just words. Watch your words, they're stronger than bones. Let me leave you with a scripture that I've used often and found very helpful in all kinds of situations. I'm quoting from the King James Version, Ecclesiastes 10 and 4. If you are old enough to have been a CB or back in the day, then you know you can always remember 10-4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Lots of things can be done with words. Brother Desi, do we have questions? Hey, I'm coming back now. You did an excellent job with that Bible study. And yes, we do have several questions that have already been submitted. I'll get to those in just a second. What I can see that you can't, as you were teaching, is the earlier comments as we got going tonight. And, and I just wanted to pass along to you from your church family, lots of observations. I'm not sure if they're compliments or not, but lots of observations about your haircut and, and your, new, your new look. So... Uh, well, I'd say it's not quite a haircut. Looks a little closer to a shave this time, but. Well, I was a hundred, right at, I don't know if it's over or under, but it wasn't much either way. A hundred days between haircuts. My barber was out of town. And that's a long time for you, huh? That's a long time. <laughs> I was thinking I was either going to have to get a dog tag or a violin. <laughs> well, let's turn to our questions tonight. I was thinking as you were talking about this topic, and you did an excellent job as we talked about bones in the Bible and swinging this around to words and how words can strengthen bones and words can also break bones. So coming up even a level from that, let me ask you, why do you think that words are such a common and important topic in the Bible? Tonight, we focused on a few passages out of Proverbs, but we can also see James talking about the power of the tongue in the New Testament. You gave examples of the kinds of words that were exchanged in the book of Job. You talk about Naboth's foolishness and then his wife's response, Abigail, as she tried to negate his words and smooth things out. And you and I could probably spend the next hour just trading stories out of the Bible where words play a major part. Why do you think the Bible puts such a strong emphasis upon our words and the way we use them, either for good or ill? I'd have to go back to Genesis. All right. And God said, 
and we are made in the likeness of God. There is power in his speech. And since we are made like him in his image and likeness, then there is power in our speech. In the beginning was the word. All right, so pause, pause, pause. <laughs> just in case anybody missed that, I just, there was another Mossism, one of those little nuggets, you blink and you miss it. That was worth the price of admission tonight. And the price was really low. But the price of admission tonight was just paid. If you got nothing else out of this broadcast, please repeat that phrase one more time. Which one? You talked about God and the power of words and we're made in his image. Just repeat we that. We are made in the image of God and God's word is powerful. Mm -hmm. Therefore, being made in his image and his likeness, our words have a power within them. Yes, they do. Excellent. Uh, life and death in one of our scriptures this evening. Life and death are in our words. It's in the power of the tongue. We, uh, there are people that, uh, I, if I remember correctly, there are medical records of people who have absolutely died because they said they were going to die. They were not mortally wounded, but they had said, if I, I'm going to die in this battle, they suffered a slight wound and died from it because they had convinced themselves that they were going to die. Power of words. Absolutely. Uh, you said something the other night in one of our meetings uh, about fear. We were talking about fear and we are afraid and that when we are no longer afraid, nothing has changed. Yeah. There's a danger. Nothing has changed whether we're afraid or not. But the way we come to it is on the basis of our either expressed or unexpressed. Their words are always going on up here. Whether yes, they, they are. Or Whether or not. not they're coming out the mouth, they're on. They're constantly running through the head, aren't they? And so we can convince ourselves that I can't do this, or we can convince ourselves it's dangerous, but I'm, I, I think I can make it. Right. And the situation right. is still the same. Very good point. Let me ask you, as you look back over your own years of experience, how do you find... Or rather, can you share a time when you were discouraged? You think of words or something, either that discouraged you or you were discouraged already. And then it lifted you up, how words lifted you up. Have you ever had those experiences yourself? If you'll allow me to use the words of the Lord, yes. <laughs> well, use the words of the Lord. Go ahead. <laughs> there was a time when uh, my church didn't know it, but... Uh, back i guess it must have been in 1969 maybe early 70 i resigned from the bartlesville church as pastor uh things were not going well uh our finances, who'd you resign with i resigned to the lord i i was making a, a decision a, a bargain with him uh finances were it, we were in bad bad shape financially mm -hmm. and You'll hear a little bit about the finances on Saturday night, but uh, uh, I I didn't see any way to make it. And our church was located in a triangle formed by two railroad tracks and a cemetery. So we were in a real upper class part of town. 
<laughs> you were across the tracks going both ways, huh? Both ways. And so I, I left. I went over to the tracks, and I started walking the tracks, talking to God, and I was down. Uh, I think I've, I may, may have mentioned this in some of our meetings that th that was in the time when about $6,000 a year was an income that you could raise a, a fairly large family on. So for those of you who think in monthly numbers for $500 a month, you, you could feed your family. And put I money away and save money. Yeah. And save money. And yeah, save I have money. not lived in that time period where no. $500 a month would let you feed your family and save money. No. But uh, I, at that time, had a, an offer of a job back in Texas that it would have paid me, I'm sure, at least $20,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And I made a I made a bargain with the Lord. He didn't take it, but I made the, my side of the bargain was there. That if uh, it was obvious I couldn't build a church, it was obvious I was be out of my depth. But I, I made God the the bargain that I would go to Texas and I would take that job, and I would send money back, so that He could send somebody there that could do the job, and I would see that that church never lacked for money again. And he told me, now I don't have an exact quote on it. I don't need money. I need somebody that'll go where I send them to stay and do what I told them to do. Now, those were not real pleasant words. I would say that's but, not exactly a blip. They were strengthening words. If hmm. you dig, if you dig beyond the the harshness, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the harshness of it, and, and from that time, we. I didn't go home and find a big check in the mail. In fact, I never did find a big check in the mail. <laughs> but uh, God was with us. Sometimes we were to the point where if the wolf had come to the door, we would have rejoiced and spent days with wolf soup. But uh, it worked. It yeah. Worked. Uh, Thank there, you for sharing that example. There have been times when, when I've been, if the, if the Lord has you up, mm -hmm. you, at least with me, there are a lot of times that you don't need a lot extra if you can go back to something solid. But in those times when I would have a little problem here and there, there were times when, when somebody would just say, you're doing good. And there were other times when I'd have a little problem and nobody said anything, but I still had to go through it. So you can't just simply depend on other people's words to carry you. In your opinion, what do you feel hurts worse? Words or physical pain? Words last longer. There we go. As, as I mentioned in, in the, the message tonight, you can be hurt and you come out with a scar. I've got a scar on one leg from, from an accident, another on my head. I've got, it's nearly all faded now, but I was in a, a chemical explosion and had uh, sulfuric and hydrofluoric acid blown into my face. Uh, just uh, fortunately, I was wearing glasses, and, and so it didn't get my saved eyes. your eyes. Yeah, 
but the very painful, painful for a long time. Hydrofluoric acid keeps coming back even after you think you're healed of it. So I've, I've got lots of scars, but uh, it's, it's faded away. I don't know if anybody could even find it now. There are other scars that are there. I broke an, an arm, both of these bones in my right arm when I was about seven years old. Uh, hmm. back, back when I was skinny, you could see where it wasn't set completely right. And it, there was a, a little crook in my, in my arm. But none of those things have, have bothered me. They're, they're not, I even have to stop and think about them to remember that they're there. But, but words keep coming back. Yes, they do. Back and coming back. And if we're not careful, we can let them come back and invite them back. And, and oh, unpack that for a moment. What do you mean by invite them back? Just keep thinking about them. Keep, keep re resurrecting the hurt. There's sometimes in some things you just got to let them go and the best you can forget about them. And, and sometimes you're hurt by words and the, whoever said them didn't even realize that you were hurt. Forgive it and go on and forgive yourself for being hurt by it. Yeah, that's great advice. When I read that question, you, you did an excellent job. But when I read that question, I thought, I don't know that it's so much which hurts more the sense of words or physical pain, because I've had some really, really incredibly painful injuries in the past, right? But those fade and the body heals over time. But I can think back to things that were said to me as a child that mm -hmm. still cut if I let them. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps even more than the fact that words versus physical pain, which hurts more, might be a better question to ask, which hurts longer? Which, which has a more lingering effect. And I'm with you. I would say it's words. Definitely. Probably one of the most intense injuries I ever had. Uh, the weekend of my graduation from my master's program, I was in a tree cutting accident with my father-in-law and crushed my chest and rushed to the emergency room. And they thought that I had punctured my right lung and were pretty sure I busted several ribs. And that was, that was some of, if not the most intense pain I have ever felt in my life. And it was very difficult for several weeks, but my body healed. But there are words I can remember from 30 plus years ago. So, so one lasts a lot longer than the other. Well, definitely. Mm -hmm. definitely. We had another great question came in that said, what should we do or say when we don't know what to say to comfort and to uplift? and to advise someone. We've talked about how words can heal and strengthen. So what happens if you're in a situation with a friend, a family member, a coworker, neighbor, someone you have contact with, and you realize right now they could probably really use a good uplifting word, but you, you don't have one. Words are escaping you at the moment. What advice would you give a person in that scenario? Sometimes there, there really are no words that are appropriate. It, it talks about uh, fitly spoken words like apples of gold and, and uh, uh, silver, but sometimes they're just not that. Sometimes the only thing that you can do, the only words are just the simple standard 
trite, cliched, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. If, if you don't know what to say, honesty in that case is, is not all that bad. But there's another thing that I, I discovered in uh, my time of chaplaincy with the police department and with the fire department back in Oklahoma. Okay. And there is what they call a ministry of presence. Mm -hmm. Presence Just as in the fact that they're, you're there. Presence in, in P-R-E-S-C-I-N-E, -E, the, the sense that you are present, that you are yes. with someone, right? Uh, one of the one of the things that eventuated in them having a chaplain's corps for the police department happened when uh, there was a, a small child who was mauled to death by a, uh, a large dog. I don't even oh. remember what kind. Oh, my goodness. That's a terrible the, story. The first police officer to respond was a, uh, a woman police officer. And the tragedy of that was that she had just uh, she had just recently come back on the force from giving birth to a child. So she's got this infant at home and here's this child that has been killed by a dog. She she came apart. And understandably so. Understandably so. Yeah. Anybody that doesn't understand that needs to go back and, and take their test for a human being again. And and uh, so they called in other officers. Uh, some of them were handling it. It just so happened that the officer who wound up at the emergency room with the child's body was a former Marine woman officer. Mm -hmm. And she was also having some problems. She wasn't about to, to have a breakdown, but it was getting to her. And again, you can understand why. Yeah. And, and so she, she told the story in our, our chaplain's training. She said that she left out of the emergency room back out into the waiting room just to take a, a short break because she had the time. Nothing was going to change because she went out to take a moment. And when she walked out into the uh, waiting room, she happened to look down the hall and there stood one of the hospital chaplains. She recognized who it was. Mm -hmm. She saw the hospital chaplain. The chaplain did not see her. No words were exchanged. But just because she told us, she said, I saw the chaplain and I knew I could do this. Just a ministry of being there. The chaplain never knew, but had a big impact on that, that officer's psyche, if you will. Yeah. Sometimes just simply being there is powerful, if yeah. not enough. So yeah. I, I'd encourage anybody listening out, if you're thinking of this, you face a situation with someone, especially in this example, he just named a terrible tragedy and, and you don't know what to say. Stop trying to come up with something to say. Something simple is- I'm sorry is always appropriate. Always appropriate. And then you may need to follow, I'm sorry with silence and just be there. 
And I found something else that a lot of times while you are sitting there trying to think of something to say, yeah, the person who is in the turmoil will be trying to think of something appropriate to say to you. They say, I had one, one lady who had lost a son that I don't know what to say. I told her, you don't have to say anything. I'm not here for conversation. I'm here if you need me. That's excellent advice. So just even giving the other person permission not to speak. It can work. Uh, what was it? One of them, one, somebody said, preach always, everywhere, all the time. If necessary, use words. Francis of Assisi is the one who is um, purported to have said that. It's a little hard to verify considering medieval times and him being a, a monk and all of that, whether or not he actually said it. But that statement is accredited to him. You know, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great truth of life. Absolutely. Let's go to another question. We had someone say uh, we see several times throughout the Bible. And in this theme, think of we had Jeremiah to lead this week off and then you've mentioned jesus tonight where they brought an accusation against him jeremiah complaining how people mock him and laugh at his words and it seems like everyone was trying to take what they had said and then twist it and then use it against them and we see that going on right now in the political arena we may see that in our job situation our personal situations so what can we do and what can we learn when we're dealing with family or friends or co-workers where they've taken something you've said and now they want to use it against you so what do you suggest in a situation where you are trying to be careful with your words and someone has twisted it and turned it back on you david faced the same problem he said daily they rest my words they twist them uh it's if somebody is going to misunderstand they're just going to misunderstand. I believe it was Napoleon who addressed his generals, warning them to be extra careful, to be very, very plain about their orders because he said, anything that can be misunderstood will be misunderstood. It's, it's typical, it's normal. Nobody's picking on you outside of what everybody gets picked on. Uh, even at our best, I try to be very, very careful with words. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that what I said is what you heard. Mm. And there's not a good way to know that for certain. Not until it comes back to you. Communication is limited in that way, isn't it? <laughs> Mark Twain, I believe it was, it said it takes two people to hurt you or somebody, an enemy to say something bad about you and a friend to tell you what they said. Mm. Yep. So when that comes back, so now you've been assaulted by this, what, what, what do you recommend? Is it worth doing anything about? There we go. So start by asking yourself, is this even worth addressing? If... If you are living in such a way 
that folks are not going to believe it anyhow, why bother with it? Hmm. Now, I know folks are, are very quick to believe the worst about everybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, have, I have had things told to me that I, I just dismissed them out of hand because that's not the person I knew. Mm-hmm. That's not the way they acted. That's not the way they talked. It wasn't consistent with their character. Right. Uh, one time when I was working in the West Texas oil fields, uh, one of the other young men and I got into a, a scuffle. It, it was not a fight. It was just a, we weren't mad at each other. We were just a disagreement. No, it wasn't even a disagreement. It was just a couple of young bulls trying to see which one was the toughest. <laughs> and okay. uh, and there was a, uh, uh, he was a little older than I was and outweighed me, so he was the toughest. And I finally had to, to yield. And uh, later when the boss came back and, and one of the older men was describing what had happened, and he told how I had given up, how I had yielded. He put all kinds of profanity in my mouth. And even before I got the Holy Ghost, I didn't use profanity. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I know what happened. He heard what he would have said. Ah. So before you start listening to, to bad things that people are telling you, somebody said, you, you might keep in mind, is this them talking or is this them reporting what really went on? I think of the example of Jesus under his arrest, under mm-hmm. false pretenses, standing trial at the high priest's house. And so he's before Caiaphas and this religious council as they mock him and insult him and spit on him and yank his beard and slap him around. Literally, go back and read it mm-hmm. for himself. Says he didn't say anything. So God Himself become a human, put on trial, facing execution for a crime he didn't commit. And he understood in that scenario it wasn't worth responding. It wasn't going to accomplish anything. So as hard we, as it is, sometimes it may be better just to be silent. And we see from just a, a little bit before that that his words still had power. When he asked, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And it knocked them to the ground. Yeah. His words still had power. But there were there are some things that are not worth, it's not worth stirring it up. Don't go mountain climbing over a molehill. <laughs> That's a mossism. <laughs> Someone earlier said what you said was a uh, good advice earlier, but it wasn't a mossism because it wasn't pithy and short enough. That'd be a mossism. Don't go mountain climbing over a molehill. Yep. We're coming to the top of the hour, but I wanted to include one more question because it got asked several times in different ways. So this isn't any one specific question. I'm just kind of wrapping a few of them together as we get to the top of the hour. If you can try to answer it quickly. Give us some advice on how we can strengthen our own bones against hurtful words. Encourage David encouraged himself in the Lord. Quote scripture yourself 
And mm-hmm. sometimes, now this is going to sound harsh and it could be misquoted and somebody could take it wrong, but just sometimes remember the source mm. of your accusations or what is coming against you. There are some folks that are, they just are miserable and they want everybody around them miserable. Some folks, I don't know what's wrong with them, but there's no need to let, to make somebody else's problem your problem. If they're miserable, don't let them make you miserable with their misery. Yep. Just if, if you, if you can't find anybody to encourage you, go off like David and encourage yourself. That's scriptural. Yep. And you are the one who gets to determine whether you're angry or whether you have a bad day or how much it impacts you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for answering that question quickly and sweetly. We have run out of time. There was more comments and questions. We tend to get that whenever you are the one teaching. Thank you for bringing these great little pearls of wisdom for us to listen to tonight. To those of you who are listening to the broadcast, we're uh, unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour, and so we are out of time. But I would encourage you to check out our website if you're new to us at newarkupc.info. That's newarkupc.info. And on that website, you can find out all kinds of information about us. You can submit prayer requests. You could submit a baptism request. You can partner with us in giving. You can look at our online small groups. You can join us. We have small groups going on this week. Another set of small groups starting again tomorrow night, all of which is online in a digital format right now during this COVID-19 situation. You can find information on our YouTube channel for all of our previous broadcasts. We do this six nights a week at 7 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday. Monday is our Sabbath day. That's when our staff takes the day off. But other than that, we're broadcasting six nights a week, and we'd be delighted to have you join with us. You post in the comments in Facebook or YouTube. We will see them. And we thank you all for joining us once again. Stay tuned. Tomorrow night, we've got another topic, another, uh, I should say, lesson on this idea of bones in the Bible. And then you'll want to stay tuned. Friday Night with Friends is going to be a real neat guest. I don't want to give it away. You'll just have to come back. God bless you folks for joining us. Thank you. And everyone.